Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Gu Yan Wu. For over a week in December, a 17th century intellectual was the subject of heated debate in the Taiwanese press and political arena. On this podcast, we've taken note of previous occasions when Chinese historical figures dominated contemporary Taiwanese headlines. There was the time when former chief of the executive branch, Su Zhenchang, said, Had Yuan Chongguan not died, how could the Manchu army have breached the Great Wall? Referring, of course, to the late Ming general and minister of war, Yuan Chongguan. Although in the context of contemporary Taiwanese politics, no one was quite sure what Mr. Su might have meant. There was the time at the height of COVID when opposition politicians accused Minister of Health Chen Shizhong of resembling Emperor Huidi of Jing. Emperor Huidi was so infamously stupid that he ran the Jing dynasty into the ground in the early 4th century. Minister Chen of course, vehemently denied any resemblance to this symbol of incompetence. This time, the story began when a teacher of Chinese language and literature at Taipei's premier girls' high school publicly criticized the 2019 curriculum that the independence-oriented government put in place. Controversy had already surrounded the curriculum, and the education policies of the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, the party in power. The DPP government had stripped out certain elements of traditional Chinese learning from the curriculum, particularly in history and literature. Those opposed to this kind of diminution of traditional learning had criticized the government for it. And it turned out that this particular high school teacher belonged in this camp. She was upset that her students were no longer required to learn about certain things that she felt every educated Taiwanese, every educated Chinese, should know. In particular, she focused her criticism on the removal from the curriculum of an essay by a man named Gu Yan Wu. So, who was he? Gu Yanwu was born in 1613 in the city of Suzhou. He came from a Mandarin family, prominent in the Yangtze Delta area. His great-grandfather had been a senior official within the Ming Dynasty bureaucracy. As a boy, Gu Yanwu's paternity was transferred over to a cousin. Let me explain. This was a thing that sometimes happened in pre-modern China. What it meant was, said cousin, a member of his father's generation of the same clan, had died young without marrying and without having children. Since Confucian tradition said that people should really try to have sons, it was considered a misfortune for the man to die without having a son who could carry on his line. 
So, within the clan, the relatives found another family who had multiple sons. In this case, Gu Yanwu's family, and with their agreement, had one of those sons posthumously adopted by the dead cousin, so that it was as though the dead cousin had a son. Said cousin also had a fiance that he never got to marry, but who proceeded to consider herself a widow, as well as Gu Yanwu's mother. She was apparently a very studious woman, who read books into the night, and she instilled in Gu Yanwu traditional Confucian values, teaching him to emulate the patriotic heroes of the past, like Yue Fei. And Wen Tianxiang. In 1626, when he was only 13, Gu Yanwu gained the Xiucai or Licentiate degree in the civil service examination. He then joined the Revival Society, a literary society chiefly composed of Yangtze Delta intelligentsia. During the next few years, Gu Yanwu read widely. Including all the histories of all the Chinese dynasties, and at this time he criticized the so-called eight-legged essay, the formulaic type of writing that had become standard in the examination system, arguing that the strict essay form had done more harm to the Chinese mind than the infamous book burning under Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor. Despite this criticism, Gu Yanwu was apparently good enough at the eight-legged essay to succeed at the next level of examination in 1632, when he was 19. Later, he was accepted as a student at the Imperial Academy. That's a bit like getting into a PhD program at Oxford or Harvard. This happened in 1643, when Gu was 30 years old. And if you know your Mingqing history, you know that this was only one year out from the cataclysmic turning point. In 1644, the Manchu army broke through the Great Wall and swept south. Although we typically date the fall of the Ming to this moment, China was a big place, and many Ming loyalists remained, particularly in the southern half of the country. Gu Yanwu was one of them. He joined the Ministry of War of the Government of the Southern Ming, the regime that at this point tried to carry on the banner of the Ming from the southern capital, Nanjing. But then the Qing army sacked Nanjing. After escaping from the city, Gu Yanwu allied with several associates to raise a militia to try to lift. The Manchu siege upon his hometown, but they were ultimately unsuccessful. In the battle over his hometown, two of Gu Yanwu's brothers were killed. Manchu soldiers cut off his birth mother's right arm, and his adoptive mother went on a hunger strike, and ultimately died. Before her death, she made. Gu Yanwu promised that he would never go and work 
for the Qing. Later, the southern Ming government in exile brought him back into the fold and had him lead another militia against the Qing. But the southern Ming was doomed to failure, and Gu Yanwu ultimately left that cause behind to return to civilian life. Not that civilian life under the Qing was easy for him. He made some private enemies. In 1655, they tried to destroy him by reporting him to the Qing authorities, claiming that he was still in league with Ming loyalists. Maybe he was, but the motivation for reporting him was a private property dispute. As his enemies tried to get him, Gu Yanwu ended up killing one of them. The others then reported him for homicide, which landed him in prison. Thankfully, a friend was able to lawyer him out of prison. But still, his enemies came after him. Gu Yanwu went back to his hometown, sold all the family property, and then traveled around northern China, connecting with other Ming loyalists in the hopes of organizing them into a resistance. Then in 1666, a former Ming official named Huang Pei landed in so-called language prison. Then as now, writing something that the Chinese government didn't like could land you in prison, or worse. In Huang Pei's case, he was fond of writing poetry and wrote a poem taken as critical of the Qing. Again, going to prison for writing poetry was a classically Chinese thing to do. And again, the case never would have happened but for private grudges. One of Huang Pei's servants, resenting his master, had gone to the authorities and reported his master for owning seditious materials, his poems among them. The case implicated over 200 individuals, and in the end, Huang Pei was hanged. Of those 200 individuals, one of them was none other than Gu Yanwu. He really had nothing to do with Huang Pei, but again, someone with private interests at stake went to the authorities and claimed that Gu Yanwu had been responsible for printing some of the seditious papers found in Huang Pei's home. Due to this accusation, Gu Yanwu went to prison again, this time for a seven-month stay before another friend got him out. By this time, Emperor Kangxi of Qing was on the throne. Kangxi, of course, went on to be remembered as one of the great rulers of Chinese history. And at this time, he consciously embraced Chinese culture, presenting himself not as a Manchu emperor, but as a true emperor of China, ready to carry out all the duties traditional to that role. Part of this embrace meant welcoming the former Ming literati into the Qing fold. So, in 1671, when Gu Yanwu visited Beijing, he received an invitation from Kangxi's teacher to enter government service. Gu Yanwu refused the invitation. 
If they were to insist, he said, then he would have to either run away, like Jie Zitui, or commit suicide, like Qu Ren, referring to two famous figures from the Spring and Autumn and Warring States periods. Later, in 1679, Emperor Kangxi made another overture to Gu Yanwu, inviting him to join the Bureau of Ming History. Writing the history of the previous dynasty was a traditional responsibility for each succeeding dynasty. So, Kangxi was once again trying to live up to Chinese tradition. And he thought the best people to draft a history of the Ming would be these scholars who had lived under the Ming. Once again, Gu Yanwu refused. He was nearing 70 by then, he pointed out in his reply. What did an old man have to lose? No more than the winter days of his life. But as a matter of principle, he could not go and work for the Qing. He devoted his final years to scholarship, contributing a great deal to the study of ancient Chinese phonology. He died in 1682. Gu Yanwu came to be regarded as one of the three great scholars of the late Ming. His scholarship influenced generations of scholars to come. His argument that the intelligentsia should learn things of practical benefit to society rather than merely write poetry resonated with subsequent students. He also argued against the monarchical system, proposing what were essentially democratic ideas, which resonated strongly with republican revolutionaries who set out to overthrow the Qing dynasty in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. But what's this essay that got stripped out of the Taiwanese curriculum that's caused so much controversy? It's an essay he wrote on the concept of shame. Confucian ethics traditionally says that one must retain a sense of shame. Otherwise, one would not know to be embarrassed, to be ashamed when one has done wrong. In Chinese, calling someone shameless still sounds like a much harsher accusation than it does in English. It sounds like you're saying the person has not the most basic capacity for ethical conduct. That the person is basically worthless. And in this essay, Gu Yanwu made a famous declaration. When the ruling elites lose their sense of shame, that is when the nation will be shamed. So the removal of this essay from the curriculum took on greater symbolism. Had it become inconvenient for the Taiwanese educational system to teach its children that it is bad for political leaders and officials to be shameless? The high school teacher who started the controversy implied as much, calling the 2019 curriculum a shameless curriculum. The ruling DPP fired back. The head of the legislative branch, Yu Xiquen, responded that the concept of shame 
was a product of the feudal system, a product of monarchy, and it is irrelevant in modern democratic society. Yes, he really said that. In a modern democracy, according to Mr. Yeo, there is no need to feel ashamed for anything. Apparently, not for bad behavior, not even for corruption and crimes. This response obviously did not put the controversy to bed. Instead, critics shocked by Yeo's statement redoubled their attacks. Many in Taiwan have grown increasingly concerned with alleged instances of government corruption and abuses of power. Yeo's comment and the removal of Gu Yanwu from the curriculum in the first place both seemed emblematic of these concerns. And that's above and beyond the initial controversy over the 2019 curriculum, the general sense of a reduction of Chinese history and culture in Taiwanese education, and whether that is a good idea. All this is still playing out, so we'll have to see what happens. For my money, I'll just say that fighting over a 17th century Confucian intellectual strikes me as a distinctly Chinese thing to do. On that note, this has been MODG. Thank you for listening.